Would you open up to Matthew chapter 13 with me, and I would follow up a little bit on last week's sermon. Matthew 13. Starting in verse 9. Uh, verse 1, I'm sorry. As we continue to speak about the human heart. The human heart is that spiritual part of us that are we right with God? Do we think about God? Do we need God? Do we depend on God? It's that part of us that makes us tick. That's that individual part of us that it says who we are. That's our heart. It's our desires, our passions, our will. You know, what's the most important thing to us? Jesus says it this way. Out of the heart, out of the mouth, the heart will speak. So if you really want to know what's in somebody, you've got to listen. And you listen. As time goes on, you can really discern what someone's made of. And, and Jesus is talking about that in this parable. So I want you to know, this is about the human heart and its response to Jesus. Starting in verse 1. There we are. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Jesus says this, He who has ears, let them hear. Turn to verse 18. Jesus says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. He's going to give us an explanation now. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what has been sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word about me, immediately he falls away. And as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But when the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke that word, and it proves unfruitful. As for, the one, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word about me, and he understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields it, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you that you're always searching our hearts, God. You really want to know what's inside of us, God. We thank you that the word turns us inside out. The word of God is like a microscope, a spiritual microscope, and lets us know where we're at at all times. It's truly a compass to your people and a dread to the rest of the world. So, Father God, open up our eyes. Let's see what's going on in this text. Help us, Father God, to be that good fruit, 
Help us to be that good soil that produces a hundredfold in our life, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'd like to share some thoughts on this parable today. And so we start to begin to understand some of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven or what it means to be a Christian. Some of the, the mysteries of the kingdom. Last week we spoke about the mystery of how it all works. How do you get up there and just start talking about Jesus? And all of a sudden, just in talking about Jesus, some people just gravitate towards it, initiate it. They take it into their heart and they just change miraculously, as last week's parable said, overnight. This miraculous uh, uh, growth spurt that just seems to be unexplainable. And why does it happen? And so last week we realized it's the sovereignty of God. It's God's spirit working on men's hearts that produces this. You can't make someone believe. You can't make someone be a disciple. You can't tell somebody, this is what you have to do. That was the Old Testament. The Old Testament says, this is the way you had to live. And the New Testament doesn't work that way. This is how you need to believe, is the New Testament. And when you believe in Christ, there's the supernatural work of God on our hearts. Well, this is another parable about the human heart, which is a little different in its dynamics. The importance here is Jesus desires us and his disciples to understand certain truths about Christianity, about the kingdom, he calls it. There are a lot of truths here that are both negative and positive. He's already said them. We're going to speak about it as we go on. He says something from uh, Matthew chapter 11. I don't know if we have that up there, but if you could pull that up. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. We didn't have that up there? Okay. So, the true kingdom, true Christianity, is under attack. Now as it was then. What we have here is that men want to make their own way into heaven. They think they can say, no, it's not about Jesus. You need to be good enough. I'm good enough to go to heaven. I do the Ten Commandments. I'm religious. I'm a good person. I'm not a sinner. I don't need to be saved. I don't need to repent. I'm not like other people. And what that means, they're violently thinking they can just go to heaven. You need Jesus, and you're bad, and I know those other people are really bad, but... I'm going in. Now to you and me, that might not sound violent. But when God hears that, it's like Jesus taking a step back and said, oh, you're going to come your own way. Uninvited. You're violently going to storm the gates of heaven and just come in. And God's saying, no, that's not the way it works. You tried to do that on John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was preaching about repentance, you said, we don't need your repentance. We don't need your John the Baptist. We don't need your message. We got our own. We're children of Abraham. We're going anyway. That tone is still in the world today. People think they can just go anywhere they want. Just show up. Here I am, God. I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, a real gangster. Legit gangster. And he used to come here on Monday nights 15 years ago and he used to bring his entourage of people. <laughs> now I know the guy. He's not a good guy. But to his own mind, he thought he was a good guy. And he says, no, God understands my heart and he'll let me in. I'm like, no, that's not the way it works. God sees everything you do, not just a couple of good things you think you do. God sees it all. See, I don't know where he is now. For some reason, he doesn't call me no more. I, don't, I find that strange, right? But you see, that was a, that was a violent way of saying, 
I'm coming any way I want. And Jesus is saying, don't even think about it. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through me. And the parables in this chapter help to identify some of these characteristics we just spoke about, that I just spoke about, which give rise to the inconsistencies you see in many people's lives. They're saying, I believe, but, you know, I don't see anything in your life. What are you talking about you believe in? Oh, you're one of those who believes, but doesn't change, so you're violently going to go into heaven because you think you're going because you think you believe. That's not what's going on. This parable addresses these issues. Jesus wants us to have understanding of why these things are so. As a minister, as a preacher, as a Christian for the past 30 years who witnesses my faith, I tell everybody and anybody as soon as I get a chance, I talk to them about faith, I talk to them about religion, I talk to them about Jesus, I talk to them about salvation, about redemption. And you get all these misunderstandings. When I was younger, I used to scratch my head and say, why God? Why? And that's what his disciples were saying. And I'll get into that. But as time goes on, God wants us to understand why these things happen. And this is one of the texts that gives us a great understanding. Jesus wants us to have understanding and not to be taken unaware. But to be on our guard. Everyone in this room needs to be on their guard against certain attitudes in this world that try to lead someone astray. So great and so satanic are these inconsistencies that Jesus says at the end of this chapter, we didn't read it. He said, leave them alone. Wait for the angels from heaven to come and they'll take out the weeds. It's not our job. It's such a delicate operation between the true believer and the false believer. Listen, it's such a delicate operation between those who truly believe and those who truly think they believe, ready, that only the angels themselves can determine between it. As Christians, we can get into this a little later, and I'll touch upon this, and we'll understand what he's talking about. But this is a serious matter, okay? The inconsistency that I'm speaking about tonight is about those who say, yes, yes, I believe everything. But everywhere in their life, it's basically no-no. Listen to what Paul says in Titus. Can we have Titus up there? Listen to this text. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. Paul says they're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. These are ones that say, I know God, I know Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I do this, I do that. But Paul is saying here... But when you look at their life and examine it, it's the opposite. There's an inconsistency between their profession and their living it. The gospel, the first parable we deal with is the human heart. It's represented by four different types of soil tonight. I just read them and I'll go through them again. And the soil's receptivity to the message of Jesus. Jesus is the message. He is the seed. The gospel message of salvation for true repentance and faith in Christ's atoning work. This is the seed sown. It's about Jesus Christ and making us right with God. Let's go to verses 1 to 3 and we'll get into this a little bit. 
verses 1 and 3. This sets the historical setting for the parables, and I'll explain it. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him. Slowly but surely, crowds came. So that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. You can see it now, hundreds, maybe thousands. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. Now you have to understand something. When I tell you a sower went out to sow, do you know what that means? You can rest assured, everyone 2,000 years ago knew exactly what that meant. They will understand this is a, uh, 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 it's agricultural. They understood this. Everywhere you looked in Palestine 2,000 years ago, even in farmland today, they're sowing. And that's what the sower did. He had two patches on, he had the seeds, and he'd just walk. And he saw after the, the ground was tilled, he just tilled. He didn't go down and put each seed. He just scattered the seed. So they understood this. And that's what Christians do. We scatter the seed. We speak about Jesus. We speak about what he has done for us. But before we go on, this is a reflective nature between verses 1 and 2. And I don't have the time to uh, elaborate on it, but chapters 11 and 12, Jesus was doing great things. He was healing people. He was going into the synagogues. He was doing mighty works. And guess what? Nobody, nobody believed. So here's the disciples, they're following Jesus, he's raising people from the dead, he's healing lepers, he's preaching, and people are amazed, but no one's believing. So Jesus sits down, and he starts to talk to them about a serious issue. He's basically saying, this is why people don't believe. But he gives it in a parable, and he explains it to them later. He's basically saying he sits down on the same day that Jesus did all these miracles in chapter 11 and 12 and nobody was believing. They were fighting against him. He went outside and he started to speak to his disciples. Enough is enough. He's going to tell his disciples why for two chapters he did miraculous works. And guess what? His family was not even believing. And he's going to give them the skinny on the whole thing. And that's what he's doing tonight with us. He's giving us the skinny. He's giving us the why these things happen. He's bringing us on the inside. Jesus is reflecting on all the unbelief. With this, these hard, hardness in mind, Jesus starts teaching on kingdom dynamics. He's preparing his disciples, these apostles that were going to be preachers after he gets killed, resurrected, and ascended. They're going to carry on his work. And they need to know why things happen the way they do. John and myself and every Christian for 2,000 years needs to know why things happen the way they do. God does not leave us in the darkness. He tells us why. And he gives us four examples of how it works. Three are no good. Only one is good. Only one good example of a genuine Christian. The first parable we spoke about with its explanation is the right place to start when it comes to kingdom inconsistency. Why are people saying yes, yes, but their life really saying no, no? What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24? Do we have that up there? Do we have it? Oh, there it is. Many will say, Lord, Lord. 
but you don't do what I say scenario. You see that? Not anyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is important. Jesus, looking down the annals of human history for the last 2,000 years at least, has seen many people saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Savior. I trust in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And Jesus is basically saying, well, why don't you obey me? Why don't you obey me? That's the scenario we have here. Because it deals with the human heart. Let me tell you something for a lot of young Christians. The most troubled entity in the universe is the human heart. We are so inconsistent. We let ourselves down. We let our loved ones down. We fail so many times. We fail the law of God. We fail the law of Christ, which is to love God and love each other. We fail all the time. If anybody is generally honest with themselves, they have to look and say, why is there this great inconsistent X factor in my life? Of course, the human heart is depraved. And only God is the answer. And that's what we're dealing with here, the human heart. And now Jesus is going to go to explain these four soils. So let's, let's follow along in verse 19. There are represented in that parable four different types of responses to Jesus, all right? He's going to give us a breakdown now, starting in verse 19. That first one goes like this. Listen to Christ. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and, that's that's Satan, comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. He says, this is what's sown along the path. The path to me and you might not mean nothing, but the path 2,000 years ago was that hard ground where people constantly walked on. When seed fell on it, it couldn't do much because it was so hard. But that's just an analogy, a metaphor of this human heart. This is one human heart that hears the word, but the heart is so calloused, it believes nothing. As soon as you start to speak about God, the mind shuts down. They phase everything out. They want nothing to hear about God. They want nothing to hear about Jesus. Want nothing to hear about salvation. Nothing to hear about redemption. They want nothing to hear about sin and morality. This is the closed mind. It hears something. It falls to the ground. The heart is so cold towards God, that Satan just comes and snatches that word. There's no hope at all. The closed mind to any religious teaching. As soon as God is mentioned, their ears close up. No matter how many times they hear the gospel of Jesus' love, they refuse to believe, they refuse to repent, they refuse to come and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. They hear it over and over and over, and the more they hear it, guess what? The harder they get. This heart, as Jesus says, is more in alliance with Satan than it is with God. This person does not realize the satanic activity going on around them. How Satan thrives where there's no spiritual care at all. Where there is religious and spiritual indifference, that is Satan's playground. Satan, that to Satan, that is like, uh, how could you say, that's cruise control. He doesn't even have to try. This is Satan's playground. 
This heart wants nothing to do with God, wants nothing to do with Jesus, could care less, is totally indifferent to any eternal truth. They want to know nothing about eternity, nothing about the next life, have nothing to do with God's care, nothing to do with God's providence. As soon as they hear something, it's over. As soon as they hear it, it's gone. They could kill us. The next heart, listen to this. This is the flash in the pan conversion. You ready? As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the person who hears the word of God and immediately receives it. I believe. With joy. Yet they have no root in themselves. But it endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises, listen, on account of that word, Immediately he falls away, or better, runs away. Listen, unlike the first heart who never for a moment entertains a religious thought, and there are many people, this person's opposite, he receives the message almost immediately. I believe. And it's mimicking a true conversion, even for a season. It's been going on for weeks, it's been going on for months. Not years, weeks and months. But this person is never really thinking through the implications. This person never reads the fine print. Are you with me? The Bible's filled with fine print. They're never thinking through the implications. This heart is shallow and his heart is empty. There's no real spiritual depth for God. There's no roots going down into the heart bringing spiritual nourishment, spiritual life. Everything to this person, their whole life is basically superficial. This is a surface salvation. It's all it is. It all looks good, and it all looks right, and it all sounds wonderful. It's like a blade of grass shooting up in the sky, but underneath is nothing. Until noonday comes, and the scorching sun comes, and guess what? It withers up immediately. And what Jesus is saying here, the scorching heat comes by way of tribulation and persecution because of the word. Let me give you an explanation on that, okay? It goes like this. You believe, I believe Jesus died for me. Praise God, I I have eternal hope. I I can feel God. And then someone says, you believe in Jesus? (laughs) You're going to church? You're reading the Bible? You're telling me Jesus is the only way? You're telling me you believe in hell? You're telling me I'm going to hell? And this person can't take the persecution. And guess what? They run for their life. they got such a fear of man in their hearts. They cannot stand up against humanity's accusations. And they run. That's it. This person, never seen me. Cannot take it. Now this is, this is referring to chapter 11 and 12. Go home tonight and read it. Because, and read the rest of this chapter over here. Do you want to know who the culprits were? The Jewish leaders. Jewish leaders, family, and friends. Mm. Family and friends are the worst offenders. Why are you leaving the religion, my mother told me. Why are you leaving the religion? My mother never went to church a day in her life. 
But she wanted to know why I was leaving. I said, Ma, you don't even go to church. We're a family that doesn't go to church. What are you talking about? And I said, no, Jesus is the way. What we were taught was wrong. And my mother fought me and Terry fought me and Terry until she came to know the Lord. That's the way it usually works. I had a cousin that took the Bible, threw it in my wife's face. Says, I want nothing to do with your Bible. I want nothing to do with your religion. Don't talk to her. Because I was talking to my other cousin. Uh, Don't talk to my cousin. Don't talk to my brother. I want nothing to do with you. And uh, this is 30 years ago. And two years ago, uh, 10 years ago, they uh, adopted a daughter. The daughter goes to school. They send the daughter to Sunday school. The daughter in Sunday school accepts the Lord. The daughter asks mommy and daddy to come. The mother gets saved. That's how it works. This is the one that was screaming at me and Terry, throwing the Bible at my wife. But God got her. God got her. But usually, this person cannot stand to be persecuted for the word, so they just run for their life. You know, when me and John, when we lead people to Christ as pastors, you know, these are the tests I look for. I got to watch. Are people going to receive more joy than run? Uh, as soon as some people start to disagree with them, that's a test. You got to pass that test. I'll tell you right, right now. You're a young Christian. You can rest assured God's watching how you react when people say you're going to a church. You're going. You're born again now. <laughs> I remember when someone said that to me. I said, "Wow, I am." <laughs> I guess you're right. I guess I am. Praise God. If Jesus is it, then that's it. I'm in. Let's go to the next one. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the person who hears the word. This is the tricky one. Ready? But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Let me paraphrase. You ready? Follow my paraphrase. As for the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But eventually, over many, many years and even decades, they fall more in love with the world than with Jesus. And eventually prove unfruitful. This heart also confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior. But its downfall... Is not what people do like the other seed, the persecution, tribulation. That's not the downfall here. They pass that test. The downfall is not persecution. The downfall is the temptations of what the world slowly offers you. The world is always looking to stir it up, seduce us into something better. You know, you can have Jesus end this. You can believe in Jesus and still do this. Jesus doesn't mind. He knows. And over the years, this is the person that says, yes, yes. This is the preoccupied heart. Before the gospel ever came in, and after even the message of Jesus was sown and received, still other things were always more important than this person than Jesus. I, I, I don't have time for church. 
I got time for everything else in the world, but I don't got time for it. Bible study, I can't make the Bible study. I'm busy that day too. 15 years I'm talking to people. They're busy here. Don't you ever have time for church? You're telling me you believe. Don't you ever have time to come to a Bible study? They're too preoccupied to give Jesus Christ one hour of prayer. Too preoccupied to give Jesus Christ one year of just reading through your Bible and, and just immersing yourself. Too busy. Too preoccupied with the cares of the world. My life is so busy. I got no time for Jesus. I got to work three jobs because I want the car. I want the house. and I'm too busy. I'm, I believe, but I'm just too busy. We see it all the time. The thing about this one, sometimes this takes many years to finally manifest. This is the bad part. This is the slow death. Slow. See, this is why. The things here in this world start to crowd out any kind of true devotion to God. And the cares of the world and the desires of riches actually become God instead. There was a great profession many years. It could be pastors, it could be elders, it could be priests, it could be whatever you want. But sooner or later, where your treasure is, so is your heart. This is the person that eventually shows their genuine love for the things of this world. And slowly over many years and even over many decades, the truth finally comes out. These persons, and here's a wonderful thing. I've seen this over and over and over again. These are the people who find themselves trying to justify worldly affections. Trying to justify it. They're trying to have Jesus and justify sin and a love for things and a love for money and a love for, for guys or girls or whatever it is. They, they love to, they're justifying it. They're saying, I believe. And they're justifying it. They're living in two worlds. But after a while, you ready? Do you want to hear the rest? Yes. But after a while, they finally give up. Their conscience finally loses the battle. And being spiritually exhausted of trying to have a foot in the world and the foot in the kingdom of God, they quit. They quit. They can't stand the word of God no more. They can't stand preaching anymore. They don't want to hear what God has to say. They cannot stand the fine print. And finally, it shows after years and years or even many decades, that's enough. And they're gone. This heart has been slowly choked to death. As the affections for this life. And the things of this world. Are more important than God and heaven. It's painful. That's a painful one. The other ones happen real quick. But this is the one who's trying to juggle the world. Jesus. I got the world and I got Jesus. 
Or do I have the world? Or do I have Jesus? And they're caught in between the crosshairs. Then there's the last one. This is fertile soil. This is the good soil. This produces genuine fruit. This is a genuine Christian. This is someone who hears about Jesus and doesn't care about anything else. It is Jesus or broke. That is it. I'm leaving the world behind me. I have decided to follow Jesus. The rest of the song I forget, but maybe Camille can read that. Maybe you know that one? I have decided to follow Jesus. And maybe we can do that at the end. The songs will say it. But this is the one who's followed. This is the one who says, I I read the fine print. I am all in. I don't care what people think about my faith. I'm not going to put riches of the world in front of Jesus Christ. From now on, I am the Lord's. And that's what Jesus is saying here. (laughs) The strength of this seed. Now listen, this is important. The strength of this seed is not that it's absence from weakness and frailty. It's the seed is just like, well, we're just it's our human heart. Just think, when you're spiritually born again, you're not you're not some giant of the faith. We're all scared. I'm all I'm concerned about what my parents used to think, and, and what of course I was. I was I was concerned. The strength here is not the absence from weakness and not the absence of frailty, but the presence of dependence on God and the willingness to obey Him. That's the strength. Even with frail, okay, even if I'm scared, I'm going to obey. Amen. If, if I'm nervous, I'm still going to read my Bible. I, I, and even, I'm going to tell you about Jesus even if you're punching me in the face. <laughs> this one is not some super, I'm Christian man or I'm Christian woman. No. This is someone who's humble on the inside and says, you know something? Jesus is all I need in this world. Amen. And with fear and trembling, I'm going to live this Christian life out. I'm not going back to who I used to be. That is it. Firm. I'm not going back. Remember verse 9, it says, Jesus ends this parable with those who have ears to hear, hear. Understand what Christ is saying. Christ says this. When you hear anything coming out of the voice of the Savior, when you are reading your Bible, when you are hearing a preacher, when you are hearing a pastor, and the words of the Bible, the the, the words of Christ are opened up, do not take that lightly. When someone says... Listen to the word of God. Listen to the word of God. Because how you listen is how you live. Don't ever forget that. That's very serious. These people hear with intention. When the word of Christ is spoken, it's like... You're a soldier in the army, and the general just walked in. There's no laziness, like, yeah, could you get me a beer while you're walking by, Jen? No, this is everybody at attention. You stand tall. You look straight. The general has just walked in. For the Christian, when the Bible is open, God is in the house, and he is speaking to his people, period. That's it. That's right. Amen. 
are those who have ears to hear. Anything less than that is indifference to God himself. This is true spirituality. They hang on to every word. Every word. Not obeying is never an option for this person. Failure, yes. We all have failure. But we get up and say, God, you gotta change me. The genuine Christian says, God, I did it uh, again. God, I did it again. God, please forgive me and help me again. I don't want to live like this. That's true repentance. True repentance is not like some cavalier attitude. Oh, he'll forgive me. I'm saved. <laughs> That's like anathema. You don't. I'm going to belabor this point. I want you to know the sweetness of obeying Christ. I want you to know the sweetness of having the Holy Spirit. I want you to know because Jesus opened up our ears to hear and how sweet it is. You see, over the course of this life of this Christian, they weather every storm of life. Persecution comes, they cry, and they flounder, but at the end they give themselves to Christ. When the temptations for riches and desires for other things clouded out, they're there, but they say, Pastor, pray for me. All of a sudden, like, I got this great job opportunity, but it's on Sunday, and I can make more money, but I don't want to give up Christ. Yeah! You don't give up Christ! You don't work if you don't have to. You don't just say, oh, you know, oh, yeah, I got to work, and, you know, I got to work two jobs, and I listen to people, and uh, me and John look at each other and say, what's going on in your heart? Who are you? Are you the first seed, the second seed, the third seed? Or are you the fourth seed? Are you going to produce a hundred or sixty or thirty bushels of fruit for the Lord? I'm only using the work thing as an example. But there are many. You can go on and on. I'm lonely. I'm this. I'm that. I'm, I got this one. Break out with the Kleenex. Obey Christ no matter how much it hurts. That's this soil right here. This is the Christian get knocked down, but just keeps on getting up. Amen. Will not give up. Will not give up. Amen. They weather all the storms, not always perfectly. Remember that, guys. Yeah. Women, it's not about perfection, mm-hmm. but our failures point to something going on in us. Mm-hmm. I remember as a young Christian, I said this many times. And then when I first started coming to church, those first months, I took four songs. Before I could actually feel God again because I was so overwhelmed with my own sin, my own failure. And then I remembered how much he loved me. And I was back again. You see, the failure of a genuine Christian never keeps him from going to God. Every failure of the genuine Christian pushes us towards God. Don't ever forget that. That's the difference. There's two ways you can tell, and we get this from Dr. John MacArthur. When someone needs to know they're a Christian, what's your greatest ambition in life? If it don't say to please God, that's not good. The genuine Christian wants to please God. What's your greatest failure in life? I haven't pleased God. (laughs) Then you know something good is going on in this person's heart. Pastor, I got to talk to you. 
I don't know what's going on. I just, I'm really struggling. I don't know if I'm a Christian. How do you feel about that? It hurts me. It hurts when I sin. It hurts when I do this. I don't know. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I don't have the Holy Spirit. Would you please pray for me? I don't want to live like that. That's when I walk away saying, praise God. They're Christians. Because they don't like the feeling. They don't like the look. They want something to change. They're hanging on to grace. They know it. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. They've weathered every storm. Persecution and fear that comes from family and friends and others. The seducing influences of the world eventually do not choke out the word out of this person. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the prideful possessions of life do not choke out the love of this person for Jesus Christ. A matter of fact, as they grow and they become strong in Christ, they cry out with Paul, I count this whole world as rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Listen to Moses' testimony out of Hebrews chapter 11. Listen. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's prince of Egypt. Don't miss that. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproaches of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That is a genuine Christian. The believer is looking for something greater than the false gold that litters this world. I'll tell you this. Please listen to me good. When you're going in Christ, and I just had this wonderful conversation with one of the saints this week in the gym. The things that used to make us feel good, it's just attempting. The fancy watch, the fancy this. Listen, we can have things, but you know something? It's just, I, I, we could care less about it. The day comes where if you took it, it makes no difference. Don't need it. Because they've died to the things of this world. And that's what Moses did. He's looking for the reward. These folks are not perfect, but they desire to be perfect like Christ is perfect. There's a hidden element in the hearts of these Christians to please God. Their life resembles a farmer's hard work in the field that is often overlooked. And he looks back over the life and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the genuine fruit of love from being a Christian, the genuine fruit of compassion, from being a Christian, the genuine fruit of humility, the genuine fruit of kindness, of self-control and moral issues, a joy and a happiness. These are intangibles. That is the value of a Christian. And that's what this man in the fourth soil desires more than anything else. Let's get on with this and we'll close. When we see this 30, 60, 100 fold, please let me explain something to you. This is not us running around saying, how much fruit did you bear? Understand, there are seasons in your life you're going to bear nothing. And there are seasons in your life it doesn't seem like you can't do anything wrong. You're just so faithful to God. And what we have here is not a picture of people, but the picture of the church corporately. 
when you and I are doing our thing and who's running the 100% and evangelizing and doing this and who's giving it, and when you put it all together, it's 100%. This is the church corporate. And we're doing all our work for God. Only to harvest at the end of the age, when the angels come back, when you and I stand before God, God will say, Brian, well done, good and faithful servant. A couple of things I just want to show you that you could have done better. I saw these things in your heart. You never dealt with this, but understand something. Every tear of your eye is going to be wiped away. All your sin is gone. The joy of heaven is yours. I paid for it. It's all yours, Brian. Here's your reward. Praise God. And we'll go through this little thing, all of us, when we stand before Christ at the judgment seat, not to be judged just of our works and say, listen, well done. For every true believer hears this, well done. Every true believer here is well done. The Holy Spirit is not sent from heaven to come into you and sit there and be a couch potato. He will produce fruit in your life whether you like it or not. And he'll, he always wins. He never loses. Understand something. Let's give Christ our all. Amen. Amen. Let's give him. Does not he worth it all? Does, doesn't he work, isn't he worthy of every good thing yes. we can possibly offer him? Yes. Why does he ask in you right now? These Christians, this fourth soil Christian, they've all made a couple of hard choices for God. Every true believer has to make a couple of hard choices for God. Everyone. No one is exempt I know what the several things in my life when God was asking me to give it up. You know when God's asking you to give something up? I'll tell you how you know. You're like, this is insane. This is insane. When you're saying this is insane, no one in the world does this. No one in the world gives this up. Are you with me? That's when you know it's God. We are the quintessential expression of a counter-cultural movement. We don't do anything the way the rest of the world does it. We live for God, and if it hurts, you know it's the Lord. Father, we thank you, and we praise you for never giving up on us, for always encouraging us, always encouraging us to be more faithful, always reminding us when we're persecuted, you're right there, always reminding us when the, when the temptations come, you're right there, always reminding us when we fail and we've done it again. You're still there. You're never giving up on us, Father God. We thank you. We thank you. For, thank you. I ask you to bless this congregation of Sonship Ministries. Holy Spirit, I pray that you go in and out of all of us, searching our hearts, encouraging us, and strengthening us, all of us, to make the hard choices for Jesus Christ, and not to look to this world, but to be like Moses and refuse to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter. In Jesus' name.